You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Trust that you are doing well this morning, and uh, I guess my eyes are open. I didn't know there was snow coming. I thought we were just like, life was good, and uh, apparently my somewhat neighbors are telling me a foot or two, so... I'm just, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to get that much. You know, you guys can have it. I'm just going to send it your way and, uh, and call it good. So uh, anyway, do you, uh, are you, did you hear the story about the gentleman named Maurice Hastings a couple of weeks ago? He was a man that about 40 years ago was uh, convicted of uh, just a brutal murder in, uh, in California and in Los Angeles that he was, um, just this, this this woman was just brutally murdered, and he proclaimed his innocence, and there really wasn't much evidence there to go along with it. But anyhow, and you know how those things go, that uh, multiple times he tried to get the judge to look into it again. So anyway, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the judge recently, who had agreed to relook at the case, they examined some DNA from the original murder scene, and he was acquitted completely. It was not his DNA. It was actually the DNA of uh, another person who died in prison that had a similar kind of conviction, similar kind of murder. And I'm so impressed by Maurice. You know, it. it can you imagine 40 years you're spent in prison? You know what kind of life happens in the middle of that? I mean, the world is just such a different place. But he just said, you know, at the end of it, he's like, I'm not bitter. I'm not, you know, I'm not angry. I just want to enjoy the life that I that I have left. Uh, and just completely innocent. The judge vacated his... Um, Vacated the sentence, vacated, like he was just declared him to be innocent. Well, for us, that's really what God does, but a little differently. God doesn't need DNA evidence. He doesn't need to call witnesses. When he looks at our life, he sees the sins. He's like, I was there. I'm everywhere. I'm omnipresent. I know everything. I know the future and the past, and it's all the same to me. I don't need to call witnesses to the witness stand. I don't need to run any DNA evidence. I know what you did on this day and on this day and on this day and that day. In fact, I know what you're going to do every day of every moment of your life and even into the future, and you're guilty. And what we talked about last week is the God of heaven is the judge of the universe who owed us nothing, that loved us despite ourselves, and sent His only Son, Jesus, to take the punishment that you and I had earned on the cross just so that He could forgive us. In essence, we were in the crosshairs that God had His scope on us, as it were, unleashing, about to unleash all of the punishment and His fury and wrath upon us. And He moved His sights over to Jesus. And He poured out every ounce of the judgment that you and I deserve upon Jesus. And so that you and I, when we trust Him by faith, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, every bit of that judgment that was coming to us is spent on Jesus. There's nothing left. There's nothing more to be paid whatsoever. And that God in heaven in that point declares us to be righteous. He looks at us and says, I no longer see sin. Instead, I'm the judge of heaven, and I declare you to be innocent. You see, Maurice was already innocent all along. He had never done anything wrong whatsoever, but because the courts had convicted him, it took a court 
to be the one that declared him to be righteous, to be innocent of all charges. That's exactly what the Bible says about us, except we are guilty, and that's what the word justification is. We're going to talk this morning about exactly what that justification by faith, what that really looks like. So take your Bible, if you would, and look with me in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. I must admit I was going to these last few verses of Romans 3 I wanted to talk about last week, but there's only so much we can talk about. And I was kind of like, "Ah, I'll just probably move on. But as I began studying and reading, I'm like, no, there's just too much in here. We can't do it. So we're going to look at the end of chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4 this morning. So read with me. Romans 3, verse 27. The Bible says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? Paul has just told us that we're saved by faith through Jesus and what he did on the cross. So he asked the questions like, well, if that's true, then what becomes of our boasting? What do we have to brag about? It is excluded, he says in verse 27. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith. There's that word again, justified, declared righteous is what the word means. I told you, I mentioned it briefly, in, all of, in this passage when it talks about just and justice and justification, it's the same as righteousness. And so God, who declares us righteous, declares us to be innocent as our judge by faith, it is apart from the works of the law, verse 28 says. Verse 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law? In other words, the Old Testament by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold it. I want to talk to you about four things this morning about justification by faith. Depending on churches that you've been in and what you've been talked about, you know, you might... We might have heard about you know salvation and we're saved, and you another aspect of it is is like being born again. Another aspect is being adopted. Another aspect is being redeemed, and we know that we receive grace and it's by faith. And there's a justification as a part of this process. The Bible is a the, the gospel, I should say, is kind of I've used this illustration a lot, and it makes sense to me. Hopefully, it does to you. If not, don't tell me. So I feel good about myself anyway. And uh, but the gospel is like a diamond. You know, you take a diamond and you hold it up to the light and it flashes different colors depending on the way that it shines. The rainbow, I guess, and the prism or whatever. I'm not a physicist. I don't understand all of that stuff. But it'll flash the yellows and the reds and the blues or whatever. And the gospel's like that. You can lift it up and it's one gospel, one truth, but depending on what you focus on, there's different aspects of it that are just so beautiful. And so this justification by faith is what we're really talking about, what Paul is really dealing with for us. And it really is at the core of what God does in our life and why we get to be forgiven of our sins. And so as we talk about it, the first thing I want us to recognize is that being declared righteous, God is our judge who looks at us and says, now that you are a follower of mine, now that you've surrendered to Jesus, now that Jesus has paid the price for your sins and you trust that alone to save you and you're not trusting any of your other stuff, I declare you to be righteous And because of that, that means there is no boasting, no bragging whatsoever on your part or on my part. You see, there's no room for that at all. We can't say, here's what we earned, here's what we gained. 
You know, it is tax season, is it not? Some, there's a couple accountants running around the church, and I think I got it right, but is it line 7 on the 1040 where you're supposed to put your wages and tips and salaries, right? You're supposed to look back, and here's everything that you've earned over the years. Well, when it comes to God's grace, grace is a gift. It is not a wage. Wage is what you do. You do something, so you get something. That's earned. Faith is the opposite. Faith is you and me trusting in that what God did, not trusting in what we do. And so it is not a wage. Instead, it is something that God declares us to be innocent, not based on any merit, not based on any goodness, not based on who we are, what we've done, what any religious background we have, but based purely on what Jesus did. He's able to look at us because our, instead of looking at us and seeing our sin, there's been a trade, if you will, as we talked about last week, that Jesus paid for our sin, and instead and He gives us His righteousness, and we give Him our sinfulness. And so God is able to only... He looked at His Son at that moment on the cross and said, I see nothing but sin and guilt and shame. And now He can look at you and me for the rest of our life and the judge of heaven, the highest court in the land, no higher court anywhere in the universe, declares us to be righteous. There is no bragging, no earning anything. There is You and I will not be able to get to heaven and say, well, God, you owe me. That's what I, why you should let me into heaven. Well, God, I, I got here. I earned this. Well, God, I'm of this certain family. I got this. Well, God... I was born into this family, and my family has been religious. We've been a part of that church and that denomination for generations. You owe me. I deserve it. You see, God owes us nothing. Teens, do you remember last, last Sunday night when Phil was talking? Remember what verse he talked about? Mom and Dad, this is when you see if your teenagers are actually paying attention. So we don't give out, you know, there are no quizzes or exams at all in youth group because we want the kids to come back. We'll leave that for school. You know, there tries to be a lot of games. Do you remember? What, what, was, what was the verse? It was what? Genesis what? 1-1. One, one. You remember the three things that he talked about? The three big things in that verse? Who knows? It was what? In the beginning, that's one. Huge concept. There's a beginning of time. Second one was what? God. Concept that God, who God is, and that God is there is in the beginning. And then the third one is what? Created. And He created heaven and earth. <clears throat> As Phil so well said, if you don't understand and accept that verse, kind of the rest of the Bible, like, don't bother. And if you do accept it, the rest of the Bible is a piece of cake. I'm like, well, you cross those three bridges, that kind of answers everything. Something that we didn't talk about with the implications of that is because God made this whole world, it means, teens, that God owes you nothing. God will never be beholding to any of us. God rules over us. He just bringing us into this world is an act of grace. Adam and Eve, before there was ever sin in this world, they experienced grace. They didn't deserve the goodness of God. They had done nothing to earn it. He invented them. He had brought them into this world, and He just gave them tremendous blessing in the process. What happened is when sin came, they lost that, and we consequently lost that. And what we earned is, is we earned sin and death, and what God is doing is He is resetting the, He's hitting the reset button on it, not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus did. And that all comes as a gift of a grace through faith that He's able to look at us and says, you know what? I know you're guilty, 
but I declare you 100% to be righteous. Because of this, there is no, no earning. There's no bragging whatsoever. You see, our whole salvation, like faith, by definition means we don't do it. It's either faith or it's works. Faith, or we do something and we earn it. It's faith and grace, a gift of God, and we get God's righteousness, or we try our own measly, weak selves, and we get nowhere. We're just stuck in the mud, and what we do is we just sling mud more and more and more. So there's no bragging. Instead, there's a gratefulness, a humility in our heart that we look to God, and as we sing each Sunday morning, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you that of all the people in this world, you saved me. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross. He had me in mind. There's a humbling there. There's a gratitude. There's a heart of worship that changes the perspective of life. It changes everything that you and I don't walk through this life making it all about us. Instead, man, it's all about God. It's all about what He did for me. It's all about Him. That's what the whole bragging thing is about. So Paul is like, guys, if you want to live a life of wholeness before God, recognize that justification, that God declares you to be righteous by faith, and there is no room for bragging. Second thing I want you to recognize with it is not only does it remove all bragging, but justification by faith is for everyone. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, is God the God of the Jews only? In verse 29, is He not the God of the Gentiles also? He says, yes, he's both. You see, he's going to justify the circumcised. In other words, the Jews in the Old Testament who did all the laws and rules, they're not declared righteous because of the good they did. They're not ten, the Ten Commandments are not ten steps to get closer to God, kind of work your way up, you know. Instead, it's to show us how wrong we've been so that God, we reach out to God and God is able to in turn with what Jesus did is He's able to call us righteous to the judge of heaven declares that it's good for the Jew. It's good for you and me who are not Jews. It's for everybody. And it's because in verse 30, the Bible says, since God is one. You see, there's one God. It is the basic teaching. Like there is one principle of Judaism, of, of, of being Jewish. It's when the Bible says that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's the most important verse. Like the, That's there, John 3.16, if you will, of the Old Testament. It is like, that's what we know. There's one God, and He is Lord, and we are owning to Him. And Paul takes that basic principle that he knew and he said, look, don't forget, there's just one God. In chapter 1 of Romans, we discovered that it was us who invented multiple gods. When we turned our back on the one true God and we invented multiple religions and multiple paths to God. And Paul has reminded us that this justification, this being saved by faith, that God declaring us righteous is because there's one God and He's had the same thing all along. And that gospel is for everybody. No matter what your religious background has been, no matter what your experiences have been, no matter what your personal identities are, is that it is, there is one God, not multiple gods with different destination points, not one God with multiple pathways. What the Bible is telling us clearly, there is one God and there is one pathway that He's made. It's for everybody. 
And it is that He would declare us to be innocent, to be free, to be guiltless to us if we had never committed a sin whatsoever, that He looks at our life and says, I see everything before me. I mean, it should be astounding to us that it's tough for us to look at our life that way. We see it in time, and time goes so quickly. It kind of picks up speed, doesn't it? But God looks at our life from the moment of conception. Your life doesn't, it didn't begin when you were born. It began when you were conceived. It began long before that. And He doesn't just look from that conception point to your death. He looks at all of that in one spot, and He says, I declare you to be innocent, beginning and end. Knowing full well everything you've ever done, knowing full well everything that you thought about doing and that you intended to do and weren't able to do, the things you wanted to do that were wrong, and I judge you innocent in all of those things. And He's able to do that for Everybody, anybody in the world matters not what our background has been, matters not whether you've been religious or not, if you've had teachings or not, if you've been an atheist or not, matters not what your parents believe, what your grandparents or great-grandparents believe, matters not any of that, is that, that God wants to declare us to be innocent and He invites us into that relationship with Him that when we do die from this earth, that we spend an eternity with Him forever. That means that when you think about your coworker who is Muslim, you can pray for them and you should pray for them that the God of heaven would speak into their hearts, into their heart, to salvation, and that God would use you and give opportunities in your life to help them to discover that same Jesus that you know. That means that the God in heaven that there's nobody that's beyond His reach that He's able to do this for, that your, your family members that you think so difficult. You see, everybody is away from God. Everybody's in the same boat. Nobody's harder or easier to be saved. Nobody's further away or closer to God. We think in those kinds of terms. And the same God is able to save them as He did you. That means for you and for me, this is priority. It's the biggest need that everybody in the world has, whether we're serving with people through Care Portal or going to other countries, whether you're going to work as a missionary, as God's emissary, as God's ambassador in your workplace, whether you're going to school, students at school, that God has you there to represent Him well, that there's students around you and friends and people and maybe even enemies, that God wants to work in their life to bring that salvation to them. It's one way, one path. Third thing I want you to recognize, to go a little bit further. This has always been God's way. Look at what chapter 4 talks about. Paul says, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Well, if it doesn't matter if you're Jew or not, if you're religious or not, well, what good is the religious background? What good did Abraham? He's kind of the father, if you will, of the Jewish nation. In fact, he says that. He says, What was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Verse 2, he says this, For Abraham was justified by works. There it is. If he was declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about. He can brag. Look what I did. But not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it, that belief, was counted to him 
as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. That's what he's earned. You work, you earn a paycheck. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. In other words, when we don't work, we don't try to make our way to God. We just simply believe in the one who's able to call us innocent, to call us righteous because of Jesus. His faith is counted as righteousness. And it goes on. We'll continue to that in a minute. You see, there's... Oh, this has been God's plan from the very beginning. It's not that God halfway through the Bible said, oh, I messed up. It's not that God made Adam and Eve and like, oh my goodness, I did not think that they were going to eat of that tree. What was I thinking? I better figure this out. It's not that after they ate you know, and disobeyed God, that God's like, oh, well, let me put together this really elaborate plan and they're going you know, to just really get this right and they're going to do all this stuff. Well, what are these knuckleheads doing? They didn't get that right either. I better come up with plan C. You know, what in the, what am I doing with all these people? God has had one plan all the way from beginning to end. All through the Old Testament, He has always declared people to be righteous through faith in Jesus, through faith in either that Jesus would come, if you were really old and lived before Jesus came, or for you and for me, faith in Jesus that He did come and pay for our sin. See, the salvation is the same. Our justification, our being declared righteous, both hinges on the cross. We either look forward to it or backward. And I may be backwards from you because I'm turned around and my sound guy tells me I can't preach backwards. It'll mess up our new sound system. But either way, we're looking forward or backwards to the cross because salvation with Abraham was by faith. had nothing to do with his circumcision. had nothing to do with his laws and how he lived and all of the rules that he did. It was merely by faith. And I want you to notice something. Paul does something significant here, and if you blink, you're going to miss it, and it is really significant. In fact, my next point kind of hinges on this whole thing. But what does Paul say in verse 3? He asks a question. He says, what does the Scripture say? He says, what does the Bible say? When you and I are trying to understand what is true, and real, that's the only question we ever need to ask. What does the Bible say? So often in churches today, people are like, well, what does our church tradition say? What does church history say? What do the church fathers say? What does our denomination say? What does a certain amount leader say? What do the theologies say? And actually, what we need to say is, what does the Bible say? Now, we can listen to some of those others, and they can be helpful, but I'll be honest with you, oftentimes they get it wrong. Because hit the rewind button on the remote control, and we rewind a couple thousand years, there was just a bunch of dudes sitting around writing down what they thought the Bible said. And it's no different than you and me today, reading the Bible, trying to decide what it says. And who's to say they got it right and we got it wrong? Who's to say we get it right and somebody else gets it wrong? The question always for our life is, what did God say in the Bible? Sometimes as people come from other churches, they're kind of trying to like, well, what is River and what are you, Sean? And, you know, all of it. And just like, to be honest with you, 
We just really want to believe what the Bible says. I kind of take a broad jump over those things. I've got books. My shelves are lined with theology books. They are lined with church history books. I've got, I don't know how many pages of church fathers written. I've got a long ago, I bought an eight volume set of just early church history. I've got all the creeds. Like I enjoy and have spent a lot of time reading all of that. But at the end of the day, I want to know what the Bible says. That's what Paul did, trying to understand our salvation. It's not what we've been taught by a religious leader in our life. It's not what our grandparents have been taught. It's not what a faith tradition we grew up in. What matters is, what did God say? When Paul is talking about something so important as salvation, he goes one to one source. He doesn't say, hey, listen to me, I'm an apostle, you need to get this right. He says, what's the Bible say? And let's look, and he says, Abraham believed God, and that belief was counted. God took that and counted it the same as righteousness, that his faith was accredited to him and enabled God to look on his behalf and see nothing but goodness. Why? Because he trusted in the God of heaven who would one day send Jesus to die to pay for his sin because he knew he was a sinner. And it was that surrendering faith to him, to the God who made him, and to the God who would save him that allowed God in heaven to look at his life and to call him righteous. It matters not about any of those other things. So even Abraham, so even though two-thirds of the Bible, if I were to open my Bible, kind of this part, the part in my left hand, that's all Old Testament stuff. Even though all of that's written, in the New Testament it's just a little bit, all of it is the same thing as that God saves us by faith, that He declares us to be righteous by faith and faith alone. i got to turn back. There we go. So, And he gives another example. He also talks about David. He says, oh, I'm still not there. One more page. He says in David, it also speaks in verse 6 of this blessing. So Abraham and David were both saved the same way, that were both followers of Jesus, not because they were circumcised, not because they were Jews, not because they were religious and kept all of the laws and the ceremonies and all the stuff. It was simply because they believed God and David the same way. And here David describes it. He says, David speaks of the blessings to the one who God counts righteous apart from works, totally separate from what we do. And here's what David says. This is Bible too. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. If you had a written Bible, a paper Bible, and you were a note taker in your Bible, I would say you need to take a pen and write across that justification. That's the best Bible definition. That's the best definition you'll ever read about exactly what God does when He saves us. If you're a little electronic Bible, you can highlight it and put little notes in there too. That's what justification is. Justification is God declaring us righteous. It's God looking at us and He says, our lawless deeds, the, the actions that we did as if there were no law, just doing freewheeling whatever we wanted, 190 miles an hour, <laughs> the speed limit, down the wrong lane, doing driving, doing whatever we wanted, without, as if there were no laws. That was the way you and I have lived our life recklessly. And God says, I forgive you. You are innocent. It's as if it never happened. In fact, He covers. He takes our sins and He covers our sins. In our uh, life group a couple weeks ago, Jim brought chocolate-covered 
cherries. I, we had donuts this week at my life group. Do you guys get donuts on Thursday night here in your emotions class? Do you get chocolate cherry cherries in your... You can't neither confirm nor deny. I will not tell you which group I'm a part of. So you just will have to envision and go buy your own chocolate covered strays, but you know, your strawberries. But you know, the strawberries were completely covered with the chocolate. God covers over our sins, and they're completely undiscoverable because of what Jesus did. He just he blankets them. That's justification. In fact, he goes on, he says, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God is the one to whom we are responsible for our life. And when he's the one responsible and he chooses not to hold us accountable, not to count it as sin, then it's not a sin. It's done. When the judge says you're innocent, you're innocent. Nobody else can do anything differently. And he declares us to be righteous. So the Bible, this has been God's pathway from the beginning of all of the Old Testament and it's still the same pathway today. It's not that Christianity is built on Judaism. It's really an extension of, and it's really one faith that God has put together in the Bible for us. Last thing I want to share with you, and I'm going to meddle a little bit here. I'm going to tell you on the front end. Just, just buckle your seatbelts. Hold on. Read these verses with me. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was after, but before, it was not after, excuse me, but before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. And while he was still uncircumcised, the purpose was to make the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him, get this, to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Sean, what in the world? I got lost in all that logic. Yeah, me too. Paul is kind of that way. Here's what he's saying. Cool thing in here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Abraham is your father just as well as he was the Jews. Bigger thing than that. What Paul is addressing is like, how does this work then? Wait a minute. If you're a Jew and you're thinking your whole life that you're saved because you did all this stuff, many of us grew up in churches that same way. Well, of course that God thinks I'm okay. Of course I'm a good person. I did all this religious stuff. I prayed. I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I've done all these classes. And you know, I go to church. I believe in God. And all of those things are what make me good. Paul is saying none of that is what matters, and it is simply by faith. And he's addressing one piece. He's like, think about this, guys. When did God call Abraham to be righteous? When did God save him? When was he forgiven of his sin? Was it before his religious stuff, or was it after? And Paul says it happened before. It was long before he was ever circumcised. See, if you were circumcised, you were a Jew. If you're not circumcised, you're not a Jew. That was like the symbol. That was the thing. That was the mark that showed you were part of the family of God. And Paul just said, guys, Abraham was a child of God, a blood-bought follower of Jesus, long before he had ever done one religious act. Because God in heaven is one God, and He saves us apart from any religious act or works or law or anything that we do whatsoever. 
You see, our being justified by faith is completely separate and has nothing to do, it is not dependent upon any sign outwardly whatsoever. It has nothing to do with it. God did it completely independent of circumcision. You know what circumcision was? Well, it tells us. It says it's a sign. It's, it was a seal. He received in verse 11 the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness. A sign isn't the reality. A sign points to the reality. If you're trying to go to McDonald's and you see a McDonald's billboard and you drive up to McDonald's and your kids, you tell your kids, we're here, and they're looking at you like, we ain't here. Have you lost your mind? Do I need to, you know, do we need to check you in to get you some, you know, mental health things? Or what, what do you mean? This is a sign. This is not reality. Signs point to the reality. You can't get a cheeseburger at a McDonald's sign. You can get one at McDonald's. You probably shouldn't. It's probably really unhealthy for you, but you can still do it anyway, right? Signs point to the reality. If you need something notarized because you've got a legal document, you wait and you sign it in front of the notary public, and after they've seen you sign it, they sign it and they fix their seal. And all that that seal and their signature does is says that your signature is authentic, but your signature is the one that counts. You're the one that's on the hook or trying to legally or whatever's going on. That's the reality. The circumcision doesn't do anything for our righteousness. It is purely what Jesus did on the cross and that we are called righteous based on what He did. That doesn't do anything for us. Here's where I'm going to meddle. Some Protestant churches teach today that baptism is identical to that Old Testament circumcision. If you go and look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, that many Protestant churches follow, which I would agree with probably 90, maybe 99% of the time. It's fantastic. But in this one area, it describes that our baptism is actually has an efficacious work through the Holy Spirit in our life that it brings ultimately that salvation to us. And there's a teaching out there in covenant theology that, well, you make sure if you get your kids baptized that that basically guarantees that ultimately down the road they're going to one day be saved. They're one day going to trust in Jesus if they haven't already. That it's not just a mere sign or a symbol, but it actually brings God's grace to you through the Holy Spirit one day later on. Well, folks, Paul is making a big deal here biblically to says these are two separate things. These are completely far apart. Salvation comes through faith, by grace, through faith, through Jesus alone, that God justifies us apart from all of that. Old Testament is circumcision. New Testament's baptism. Baptism is just a symbol or a sign of the reality on the inside. doesn't guarantee that that ever happens so much as it's just a testimony of, that we have trusted Jesus. And so having our children baptized, you know, as young infants and as children doesn't do anything to guarantee what's going to happen later on in their life. It's just, it's not what the Bible teaches us. So what does all of this have to do with you and me today? Justification by faith is a mouthful. 
But what we should know is, is that because you surrender your life to Jesus in faith, recognizing your sin, and because Jesus died on the cross for your sin, God looks at you and says, you are completely innocent. You're free and clear. You're innocent. Your whole life. Well, Sean, that's kind of like cheap. Yeah, well, we, we're going to read the rest of Romans. That's not a, you get to just go and rob banks and murder people and mayhem. All right. That's not what salvation is. But what it does mean is that God looks at you and he sees nothing but the goodness of his son. And you and I stand forgiven. And that ought to be a hallelujah gratitude in our heart today that every day is an incredible special day because of that. Every day we owe to live our life before a holy God in heaven. Every day we bow and serve before men as we talked about yesterday. Every day we kind of salute to God and say, God, you're in charge. What do you want me to do today? Man, I give you everything because you gave me far beyond what I could ever earn and deserve all day long. That means that people that we're around, that God wants to save, and we live in that way with our eye toward those people, praying for, engaging, and looking everywhere we go. It means ultimately that we don't trust any traditions or any religions or any of our own experiences, that we just simply trust what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it's our faith in Him is what saves. It means when we turn around to our family members around us, that we say, you need to trust and follow Jesus, that we can't look to any of those experiences whatsoever. Paul is taking time to just so carefully and methodically walk us through all of this logically. And if you think in terms of your salvation, well, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, that's good, but it's deeper than that. The righteous judge of heaven has made a pronouncement over your life. Now, and that will resonate through all of eternity that you are good, you are innocent. And just like Maurice Hastings, who however long he gets to live on this earth, doesn't ever have to live under the threat or the fear of being incarcerated, of being condemned or being judged for that act. Uh, he's got to live differently. He's got to live you know, like all the rest of us as good citizens. But that one... He's free and clear from. And you and I get to live that way for all of eternity. So I don't know what God has spoken in your heart this morning. This justification by faith is such a profound thing that God declares us righteous. And it should change our life today and how we live. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you declare us to be good apart from any religious act that we could do, whether Old Testament circumcision, whether New Testament baptism, that, Father, it's completely apart from all of that that you declare us to be righteous. And it comes through faith. Not through, it's not actuated, it's not enabled, it's not tied to or empowered by one single thing we do, but only what you did. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.